John 1.14 says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our prayer is that you might see God's love and faithfulness as you listen to our Sunday morning message here at First Methodist Bryan. Uh, good morning. Good to see you all again back so soon. Uh, if you have your Bibles and you want to open them up, we're going to be in Psalm 20 for today is our psalm for the day. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass, uh, the main preacher of this service. Good to be with you all here today on this Labor Day weekend. The few and the proud and the uh, not-so-tired Aggie fans uh, being new to Bryan College Station and not going to a and I don't know what I'm allowed to get away with in terms of making fun of A&M. So this will be an adventure that we will explore together. And so because they won, I have no leg to stand on. So congratulations to all you Aggies out there for that wonderful win over the mighty, mighty New Mexico State. Really great job, A&M. Good job. We are in the middle of our sermon series on prayer, uh, looking at how do we pray, right? The, it's a book based on, uh, or sermon series based on a book written by Pete Gregg uh, called How to Pray a Simple Guide for Normal People, and it's really my favorite book on prayer. I've, I've talked about it every single week. If you have not gotten the book, I highly recommend it. He's a very funny writer. He's a very easy person to read. And anything that he's written, I would just highly, highly recommend reading. <clears throat> and the way that he lays out his book is he, he has this sort of acronym for prayer about how we should structure our prayer time. And he uses the word pray as the acronym, P-R-A-Y, and each letter is a different element of prayer. So he starts off by the letter P, which is pause, and we talked about that a few weeks ago. Before we enter into our list of things that we want from God, we need to first pause and be still and know that He is God. To enter into God's presence, to still our minds and our hearts, and to experience intimacy with Him. And then once we've paused and centered ourselves on the Lord, we then rejoice. We remind ourselves, who is this God that we are praying to? And we are thankful and rejoice in his character and what he has done for us, which empowers us and emboldens us to then ask, which is what we talked about last week and then also talking about this week. Last week we looked at petition, which is the, the fancy church way of saying asking for things for God for ourselves. And we talked about last week how we, we ask things of God and how that should come from a fundamental place of trust that our God does answer prayers and our God does want to answer prayers for us. And this week we're talking about asking as well. Instead of asking for ourselves, we're looking at the opposite of asking for other people or the fancy church way of saying that is intercession of intercession, of asking God in prayer for other people. If you're following in the book, this is chapter 6 in the book. Intercession, which is asking God on behalf of someone else. I don't know if you've noticed this trend in the church. I've noticed it growing up in my life uh, in some Christian circles where someone will come up to you 
and they'll say, hey, Jeremy, I'm really having this problem, and they'll, they'll pour out their heart to you, or they'll, they'll tell you about a struggle that they're having, and you really don't know what to say, and so your response is kind of this go-to, oh, that's really rough. Well, I'll make sure I'll pray about that for you. And then, and then you say, I'll pray about that for you, and then uh, how many of us, 100% of the time, walk away and remember to pray about that for someone? Am, am I the only one who's batting a thousand out of a thousand for that, or is, is everyone else just forgetting to pray all the time? Because I do that all the time. It becomes a sort of default response in Christian circles, or, or you have someone come and ask you, and they'll say, oh, I'll pray about it, which is just a Christian way of saying, no, I don't want to do that. When it comes to saying that we'll pray about something for someone, we have a tendency to forget, or we have a tendency to maybe do it once but not keep it up. And I think that this is just something that happens in Christian circles. And so why do we pray for others? Why do we intercede on behalf of others? And also, why do we tend to forget to pray for others? Why do we tend to not pray for others? I think it's because we don't have this idea that our prayers make a difference. I think fundamentally, the reason we don't pray for others or ourselves as often as we do is because we don't believe our prayers make a difference. But Scripture teaches us over and over again that our prayers do make a difference. And I think that this is really the starting place for anyone who wants to start into prayers of intercession or asking God on behalf of others is that our prayers to God do, in fact, make a difference. And there's this difference between knowing that up here, right? Knowing that in your mind, knowing the right theology, and knowing that that's what the Bible says, that I pray and it makes a difference. There's a difference between knowing it here and knowing it here in your heart. There's a difference between believing it and living it in your day-to-day life, because if we truly believe that our prayers made a difference, that we are moving the heart of God, and that heaven himself is moved when we pray on behalf of others, I think we would do it a lot more than we do. If we believe intellectually my prayers work, the Bible tells me that it'll work, but do we have the faith then to step out and intercede to God for others and believe that when we pray there is actual divine Holy Spirit power behind those prayers. And this is the fundamental call for intercession is to ask on behalf of other people. This call to prayer, I believe, is one of the most important things that we can do as Christians is to pray for each other to pray for our friends, our family, and our nation. That when God tells us to pray for the leaders of our country, he's not just doing it so that way we make ourselves feel better, but because there's power in our prayers. In the book, uh, P. Gregg lists up this quote by Oswald Chambers, who, if you know him, he writes this daily devotional called My Utmost for His Highest, one of the best, I think, Christian devotionals out there. And Oswald Chambers has this quote, that the real business of your life as a saved soul is intercessory prayer. Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And I know in my own personal life, it took me 
a really long time to figure this out. That I believe prayer was just sort of this things that Christians would do as sort of like just a way of talking to God. But if you wanted to get things done, right? If you wanted to really have some things accomplished, then you had to work hard. You had to strategize hard. You had to get all the best figures and facts. And that was really how things were accomplished. And prayer was just sort of like this little extra power boost at the end. And Oswald Chambers' point is that it's flipped on its head. That prayer, especially interceding on behalf of others, uh, is the great work that God calls us to do. Do we think of prayer that way? Do we trust that our prayers and our praying on behalf of others is on par with evangelizing? Worshiping these big church things that we lift up? Do we believe that the call of God on our lives to pray for each other is in fact the great work that we are called to do as the church of Jesus Christ? James, the, the brother of Jesus, says this in James 5, 16. He writes that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. In the context of that verse, James is talking about if someone is sick, right? If you have someone among your community who is sick, go and anoint them with oil because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. In other words, James is saying if you want to see healings in your midst, if you want to see healing among your community, pray for healing among your community. Pray that God would move. Pray that something miraculous would happen in your midst. And I think if we were truly honest with ourselves and we truly had a moment of self-reflection, I think that deep down on some level, we don't truly believe that our prayers make much of a difference. I know that sometimes I struggle with believing like my feeble prayers can make a difference, right? Especially when it comes to like, let's just take a sickness for example. Let's say I'm sick or let's say Elias is sick. Erica will often suggest, well, we should pray for you while you're sick. And I'm thinking, Psh, that's not how this works. I go take medicine to get better, or my body's going to heal itself. Don't you know that this simple prayer isn't going to magically heal me? Right? That's sometimes the attitude that we have towards prayer, and especially this type of intercessory prayer of, Lord, come and make something happen in this person's life that we don't believe deep down that our prayers make much of a difference. But when we read the pages of Scripture and we hear the stories of the Christian faith, it reiterates this consistent theme over and over and over again that our prayers do in fact make a difference, that our prayers do in fact move the very heart of God. And if we truly believed deep down in our soul that our prayers made a difference, we would do it all the time. In the book, Pete Gregg lifts up this image of what intercessory prayer is like, and he gets it from the book of Exodus. <clears throat> We're going to be in Exodus 17, and then we'll go back to Psalm 20. It's this picture of what intercession looks like. Exodus 17, verses 8 through 13. <clears throat> the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And so Moses fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held his hands up, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. 
When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. So here in this passage in Exodus, you have this image of three different groups of people, right? You have Joshua, who is down in the valley, leading the armies of the Israelites against the Amalekites, who is fighting the battle, the one who's kind of in the thick of it, the one who is uh, dealing with the struggle. And then up on the mountaintop, you have Moses, who is lifting his hands up before the Lord, and then you have Aaron and Hur, who are supporting the arms of Moses himself. And in his book, Pete Gregg talks about how this image is exactly what it's like when it comes to intercessory prayer. That you have Joshua who is out in the field doing the battle, out in the field doing the struggle, or the people in your life who are struggling, the people in your life who are fighting, the people in your life who are suffering. And then you have Moses, or us, what we're called to do, to lift up our hands before the presence of God, or to lift up the arms of Moses in the presence of God. And Pete says that intercessory prayer is like being Moses and like being those friends, that we are lifting up those who need our help, that our prayers are like that. And notice what it says in this passage, that as long as Moses held his hands up, they were winning the battle. And the moment Moses lowered his arms, they were losing the battle. It's this image of what prayer is like in the Christian life. As long as we're praying for one another, you know, we can win the battle. You can feel the support of your Christian brothers and sisters. And then when you feel isolated and alone and no one is praying for you, you can feel that as well. That this is what it's like to be a Christian, to intercede like this image here in Exodus. Have you ever had someone praying for you like you're going through a real tough struggle? I hear this oftentimes when I'm um, doing pastoral care for people who are going through chemotherapy and cancer work. Uh, is they'll say, you know, when I could feel, they'll say in their chemo session that I could feel the people praying for me, that they could literally feel the presence of God through the prayers of their brothers and sisters praying for them. Or have you ever been going through something rough, and rather than someone saying, well, I'll pray for you later, you have someone stop you right then and there, and they say, well, let me pray for you right now, and they lay a hand on you, and they pray for you, and you just feel something shift or happen deep inside your soul, and you feel this lightness kind of overtake you, that this is what it's like to be in Christian fellowship with one another, that we rely on one another. We are not enemies of one another, that we support one another like Moses is supporting Joshua here in Exodus. It's this image of standing in the gap, right? There's this person who can't quite reach God, whether it's through a struggle that they're going through, lack of faith that they have or whatever reason it feels like that there's this gap between them and God and so we as intercessors we stand in the gap for them saying if you can't get to God then I will bring 
God to you. This is what intercessory prayer is like, and this is the call of intercession that is placed on our lives as Christians. It's not just a call, but it's a great joy and delight to pray for our brothers and sisters. That scripture says, we have been comforted by God so that we can comfort others when they are in distress. The psalm that we're looking at today is an example of a prayer of intercession of Psalm 20. This is what Psalm 20 says. Hear the word of the Lord. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May God grant all your requests. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and they fall, but we rise and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. Word of God, for you me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This psalm, when you look at the, the 151 psalms that are in our prayer book, that this is one of the few intercessory psalms for specifically another person. And looking at the way that this prayer is laid out, it doesn't give us like, a lot of details in the notes above the psalm, but you can just tell from the context that the person that this psalm is written for is someone who is most likely in distress, someone who is suffering, someone who is in need, someone who's going through a very trying and challenging time in their lives. In other words, someone who has a gap between them and God, and they can't seem to cross the gap. Someone who can't seem to pray for themselves. Someone who's in need of someone else to come and bring them to the throne room of God on their behalf. And look at how the psalmist prays for this person. This is an example of how we can model and shape our prayers when we intercede on behalf of others, when we pray for other people. This is how we can do it. He says, the Lord do this. May the Lord protect you. May the Lord answer you. May the Lord support you. May the Lord remember you, accept you, give you the desires of your heart, make your plans succeed. May you shout for joy once more. In other words, the psalmist is praying for the power of God to come into this person's life. May God do something differently in your life. May the power of God come into your life. May something in your life change and do something new. The person is praying for a mighty movement of God in this person's life. And then they end the prayer in verses 6 through 9, by, Lord, I'm asking you to do all these things for this person, and I not only am asking this, but I have confidence that God will be faithful and God will answer this prayer. That's how he ends the prayer, by expressing confidence in the Lord, that we know, Lord, that you give victory to your anointed. We know, Lord, that some people trust in earthly things, but we are choosing to trust in you, Lord. We are asking you to come and give victory once more. 
When we pray, do we pray with that sense of confidence and trust that when we intercede on behalf of others that God will come and give victory? That God does answer prayer and that God does move and work in the lives of others through prayer. Do we intercede like this for others? Do we plead for others on behalf of God? Whenever I go to the New Room Conference, which is... um, it's the yearly conference that Seedbed puts on, Seedbed Publishing, y'all may know it. We do the wake-up call here. Um, there's this one speaker who speaks every year, and he talks about uh, the lost prayer of travailing prayer, which is basically this, this deep, heart-wrenching, crying-out prayer to God. He says is a lost art that we've lost in the church, that do our hearts break for the brokenness that we see in our world? Do our hearts break for the brokenness that we see in the lives of our friends and family? And does that that heart ache, that heart wrench, bring us to our knees to plead on behalf of them for God to move and do something in their lives? Do we intercede like this? And do we pray with confidence like this? I know if I'm honest with myself, it's probably no. I know that sometimes I really struggle with believing that I can pray like this or I struggle praying like this. But if we want to be the church that God is calling us to be, we need to be a church that prays for each other. That doesn't just say, oh, I'll pray for that, but that we actually pray for one another. I remember there's, I can't remember who told me this. Someone said, one of the small shifts that you can make in your Christian walk is instead of saying, oh, I'll pray for you later about that, is when someone asks you for prayer as you stop what you're doing right then and there and pray for them right in that moment, even if it's in the middle of H-E-B and everyone thinks that you're weird. To just stop and say, well, let me go to the throne room of God right now. Do we pray for each other like this, that when we're in distress, that we feel like this building, these people, this church is a safe place where we can come and bring not our best self, but bring our deep, hurting, broken, wounded self and say, this is a safe place where I can have my brothers and sisters intercede before the throne room of God on my behalf. That's the type of church that I want us to be. That's the type of community that God wants us to be. That's the type of church that God wants his church to be. There's this quote by Richard Foster in Pete's book that I love. Richard Foster wrote a book on prayer, the second best book on prayer behind Pete Gregg's book. Richard Foster says this, If we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. You know, it's one of those things that's interesting about becoming a dad is that uh, you realize very quickly you can't control kids, can you? You can't control people, right? That's a very rough realization to come to. Uh, And so I've recently been putting Elias to bed uh, every night, and what I have felt the Lord call me to do is to pray for him every night before I put him to bed. And it's just sort of my way of saying, if I love my son, then the best thing that I can do for him is to pray for him and intercede before him. 
I'm going to close today, and not really close, I'm going to tell a lot of stories. I'm going to close the message today by telling a lot of stories of intercession, because I believe, like I said, you know, we can have all the head knowledge up here, but if we don't have the heart knowledge, if we don't truly trust deep within our soul that our prayers make a difference, we're not really going to pray prayers of intercession. So I'm just going to share about four stories of prayers of intercession. Uh, the first is the story of Monica and Augustine. I may have shared this before. It's one of my favorite stories. Uh, St. Augustine is probably one of the most famous theologians in the history of the Christian church, especially Western Christianity. He's kind of the, the basis of Western theology. Uh, for those of you who don't know, St. Augustine was a monk in the, I think, the 400s, right around the time of the fall of Rome. And uh, Augustine, when he uh, grew up as a Christian, and then he went off to sort of the ancient Roman version of college. And when he went off to the ancient Roman version of college, he left the faith and he joined basically this hedonistic cult. And it destroyed his mom's heart, Monica. And Monica would try to write letters to Augustine, would go and visit him, and would try to convince him about the Christian faith. And Monica said that every time I talked to my son about God, it just seemed to push him further and further away from the Lord. And so there's this famous quote in Augustine's Confessions where his mom decided to talk less to Augustine about God and talk more to God about Augustine. And so that led her on a 17-year-long journey of interceding for her son for 17 years. There's this famous story uh, where she's at the, the altar of the church, and she's just weeping at the altar of the Lord for her son. And Ambrose, another uh, saint in the Christian faith, comes up to Monica and says, you know, what are you crying about? And Monica says, it's my son, Augustine, you know, he's far from the Lord, and I'm praying that he returns. And Ambrose says, my daughter, leave in peace, for how could God not answer the tears of someone such as this? Augustine, if you haven't read Augustine's Confessions, it's a classic. I would encourage you to read it. He talks about his journey uh, from, from Christianity and coming back to the faith. And Augustine does come back into the faith and what's interesting is the rest of his life, he would always call himself, I am the child of my mother's tears. That Augustine, one of the great saints of the Christian faith, was because of the prayers of a mother for 17 years to bring her son back home. Another story is uh, back at Kingwood, we started a healing and prayer service because it was one of those things where if Jesus tells us to pray healing for people, we should do it. And so I had been talking a lot about healing prayer, and there was this one church member who had a brother who was in the hospital who uh, was really, really sick with a staph infection that just wouldn't go away. It was his, I think, third or fourth time getting surgery on this specific staph infection in his leg. And this was sort of the final surgery that they were going to do, uh, kind of not thinking it would work, and they were most likely going to have to amputate the leg. And if the staph infection had spread at all, it was most likely going to kill him. And so it was this really dire situation. And so this church member texted me, and he said, Hey, my brother's in the hospital. I know you talk about healing prayer. Can you come and pray healing for my brother? And I was like, of course I can. And I'm driving to the hospital thinking, oh, this isn't going to work. 
Uh, I'm really good at uh, healing prayer for hurt heart wounds, but I'm not really good at doing prayers for physical healing. You know, I've prayed for physical healing before, but, you know, sometimes it just doesn't seem to work. And so I go to the hospital, and I do what it says in the book of James, which says anoint the sick with oil. And so I anoint his leg with oil, and I pray healing for him, for his leg, trying to muster up all the faith that I can, that God can do this, but kind of, you know, that deep down belief, like, oh, will this work? I don't know if this will work. And so then I get a text the next day that not only did they get everything in the infection, but that they won't need to amputate his leg after all. And they were 90% sure that his leg was going to be amputated. And not only did they get all the infection, that they were able to do another round of antibiotics, and that got the infection. This thing that had been plaguing him for years was suddenly gone. And later I talked with his brother when he came to church a few weeks later, and he credited that prayer being the turning point in his healing journey. Erica was telling me the story the other day that uh, one time, a few years ago, the Lord woke her up in the middle of the night. God sometimes does that, where he'll wake you up in the middle of the night to pray for someone. It's a little obnoxious, but he knows what he's doing. And she said that God woke her up in the middle of the night, and so she couldn't sleep, and she just started praying for uh, people, and she felt led to pray specifically for her sister. And so she pressed deeper into that prayer that God had put on her heart, and she said that as she was praying for her sister, she kind of got this vision of the Lord kind of holding like you would like a little baby bird or a baby animal. And the Lord was holding her sister's heart in his hands. And Erica said that she could see that in that vision, he was so gentle with her, and he was whispering his love into her heart. And then after she prayed that, she went back to sleep. And then the next morning, she got a text from her dad saying, hey, if you could be in prayer for your sister, she's having a really hard time right now. And then later, her sister called her, and she found out that her and her first real boyfriend had broken up and that she was really struggling with being heartbroken about it. And then I want to share this final story that I heard in a Pete Gregg sermon. He said that he had this friend and mentor named John Peterson. And this, oh, man, y'all can come back up during this story. I forgot about that. Uh, this friend named John Peterson, this is during the time of the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, so the Soviet Union's fallen, but there's still kind of all these satellite uh, nations that are still under communist rule, but they're slowly dominoing effect falling one by one. And John Peterson is praying over a map of Europe. He's interceding that, Lord, let these atheist governments fall and let you reign in those places. And as he's praying over the map of Europe, he said that suddenly he felt the Lord tell him, I want you to fly and go to Bulgaria today, which at that time was still a communist dictatorship. And so he says, all right, Lord. So he gets on a plane, and he goes, and he flies to Bulgaria, having no idea why God had sent him there, but just stepping in obedience, knowing that the Lord had told him to go to Bulgaria. And so he lands in the airport, and he's at the baggage claim, and as he's getting his bag off of the carousel, he sees this man frantically waving his arms, shouting his name, saying, oh, John Peterson, John Peterson. And he goes over, and he says, I met you at a conference years ago. 
And I was praying this morning for our country, and the Lord said to me, John Peterson is coming to your country today, and you're supposed to go meet him at the airport. And so I've been waiting here all day for you to come, and here you are. You showed up. You actually came. And they're just kind of staring at each other in disbelief, like, ah, this, this is not how this is supposed to happen, is this? You're supposed to schedule me, and then I come, not this sort of divine appointment that God has magically placed together. And so they're standing there in disbelief, and God says, and I told my friends that you were coming, and I've arranged a Bible study for you to speak at tonight, so you're speaking at a Bible study here in a few hours. And so then John goes and speaks to that Bible study, and then the next day, him and his friends, they walk around the Capitol, and they spend the next six hours praying in the city square. And in the, at Bulgaria at that time, they had this Monument to that communist dictator there in the city square who had founded that dictatorship and his bones were in the mausoleum and so they were praying again saying we won't worship the bones of this dictator we won't serve under a godless country and the, the seat of the communist government was there and they were saying Lord let freedom come to Bulgaria and they just interceded on behalf of this country there in Bulgaria and what Pete says is what John said is within days, the bones of that dictator were stolen and the headquarters of that communist government were burned to the ground and communism ended in Bulgaria. Now, when we think about all these different prayers, were they the only reason that stuff happened? No. There's other stuff going on. There's the healing that comes through medicine. There's God working in the lives of governments. But do our prayers make no difference at all? No. Our prayers do make a difference. God does still move. You know, these things that we read about in our Bibles are not just empty, boring stories for us to pour over. They're reminders about who our God is, what our God does, and how he can still move today. This is the greater work, church. That we need prayers like this. We need intercessors like this for our city, for your friends, for your family, for our country. That our prayers can make a difference. That our prayers can shake the gates of hell itself and send heaven to rain down on earth. Would you come and be excited? about all that God wants to do through your prayers. In the name Thank of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We hope that you have encountered the risen Jesus today. If you want to hear more, please consider subscribing. We would also welcome you to join us in person. For more information, please visit us at fmcbryan.org.